You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 326 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a grand conversation with theater director, reviewer of cabaret shows, a very multifaceted artist and man, Jerry Geddes. We talk about his early days in the late 60s at Columbia University, coming out about writing for the gay press and Bruce Springsteen, the Grateful Dead performing at Columbia, Stonewall the next day, Bette Midler performing there, how it's easier to be gay in New York City. We discuss cabaret, what it means, what it is, how it works best, government and the arts, Andre de Shields, Joshua Dixon, gay marriage. He has a message for performers and lets us know at the end that one of his best friends was Sarah Vaughn. As I said, a grand conversation with Jerry Geddes on today's program. We also have an EWSA titled Pretending, a radio play written and performed especially for this episode by our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis and a poem called Sunshine's Smile. All of this, of course, as is always the case, is imbued, infused, with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 326 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Regardless how much money you got, whether, matter of fact, if you don't, if you don't even have any money, if you got somebody that's really, really in your corner and really loves you, really, basically, you got everything. It rains love when I'm with you. Rainbow when I'm with you. 
It doesn't matter who is right and wrong in a world of false equivalency and partisan subjectivity, though it does matter in one's own mind and soul. Apathy cannot rule the day, be the way. On the other hand, you should not drive yourself crazy by insisting justice always be prevalent and had. Assuming one is even able to ascertain what justice indeed, in essence, truly is from one scenario to the next. Hey, baby, take a walk on the wild side. Lou spoke his truth. Let's take some strips of photos on the boardwalk in the neon-lit booth. Do, da, do, da, do, do, da, do, do, da, do, da, do, do, da, da. I see flags on homes and hats on heads, bumper stickers on automobiles, with claims in red, white, and blue of making America great again. First question, are we speaking of North, Central, and South? Second question, what exactly are these people talking about? Great in what ways? Less Jose's? And no more transgendered paramours. Healthcare only for those in the top tier, not the middle or poor. Angry ignorance, hate fueled by fear. I wonder where we go from here. Shall we look into the rearview mirror at our society, at our humanity, our history, her story, as we continue breathing and living? taking more than giving. 
self-serving and forever pretending that everything is A-OK. And yet, too, it is, boo. This lovely night will end in evening. We'll say goodbye to all we've ever had. Alone where we have walked together, I'll remember April and be glad. Be content to love you once in April. Your lips were warm and love and spring were new. I'm not afraid, but a man of sorrow. I'll remember April and you. Fire will dwindle in the glowing ashes. The flame will last for a little while. I won't forget, and I won't be lonely. I'll remember April and be glad. Jerry Geddes, is that you? This is me. Oh, it's so nice to have you on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And uh, before we get started, I'd like to share with the folks a little bit of background information, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I I was caught in traffic, and I'm I'm running rush. You probably know how that works. 
running a little crazy here, but yes. here's here's uh, the background information for our guest. Jerry okay. Geddes has conceived and directed a number of musical reviews, including The Bistro and Mac Award-winning Monday in the Dark with George, and put on your Saturday suit, words and music by Jimmy Webb. He has directed many cabaret artists, including Andre De Shields, Helen Baldessari, Darius De Haas, and drag artist Julia Van Cartier. Jerry directs the David Drumgold Variety Show, currently in residence at Manhattan Movement and Arts Center, and has produced a number of recordings, including two bistro-winning CDs. He's taught vocal performance at the New School, NYU, and London's Goldsmiths College, and continues to conduct private workshops and master classes. Troubadours and Rock On Tours is really excited to have Jerry Geddes on the program. So, how's it going? Uh, Fine. I've just been working on a new show this morning, so... Thank you for taking some time out. It's uh, yes. It's going to is it going to debut the day after our conversation tomorrow? Tomorrow night, yes. And this is as part of uh, Pangea's uh, Gay Pride celebration, right? Yes, yes. The evening is called Celebrate Pangea Pride. Yes. We had uh, Stephen on a few weeks ago. Oh, nice. He's a great guy. It's oh. one of my favorite rooms in the city, too. Yes. Yeah. He is a great guy, and he really, I haven't been there yet. He's got me really excited about checking out the room. So you'll be performing in that famed room. Yes. Oh, great. great. Yeah, I've directed a few times there before, and in my capacity as a reviewer, I go to review shows there all the time. They they have a very exciting program usually lined up each week. So, Well, let, let's give the folks a little uh, insight as to you know how you got where you are. Tell, tell us your story a little bit, how you ended up with such a wide-ranging career, and are you a New Yorker, or, or did you migrate I grew up there? in New Hampshire uh, and came here to go to Columbia, or rather I went to Columbia to come here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'd always dreamed about being in New York as I was growing up and made my dream come true. So I came here. And when I left Columbia, I went to Joe Papp's Public Theater, which was when Joe Papp was still around and the New York Shakespeare Festival had just begun at the time of uh, Chorus Line and everything else that was happening back then. And from there, I got involved with a number of performers and started suggesting songs to them and and. Uh, working with them a bit on staging of their shows and things like that. And uh, a friend of mine who was an artist working for a small gay magazine here in the city uh, was talking to me one night and I had just seen Bruce Springsteen in concert. And I questioned why no one in the gay press Mm -hmm. had Mm -hmm. actually followed Bruce Springsteen because rock and roll wasn't really part of the, the world that was covered in those periodicals. So he said, well, why don't you write something and I'll do an illustration and we'll publish something about Bruce Springsteen. So I have Bruce to thank for my writing career. (laughs) (laughs) Does he know? Uh, We sent his people a copy at the time, but who knows? But I know, so that's fine. Uh, (laughs) And from there I started, uh, that was very well received, so I started reviewing theater and music for this magazine. And uh, I reviewed someone who called me after the review came out. The review had been not positive, but constructive. And... uh, he called and said, I like what you said about my show. Would you direct my next show? And so he was the first person I directed in the 80s, early 80s. Uh, and as a matter of fact, he is in the show that I'm directing tomorrow night at Pangea. 
Oh, wow. So you guys have been working together for a while. Yes, yes. Uh, his name is Andre Montgomery. He's a wonderful singer. But anyway, from there, people came to see his show that I directed, and I started working with other director, with other singers and putting together cabaret shows of my own for you know, reviews and casts and things like that. Uh, and at the same time, continuing to write for various publications. And lately, uh, currently, I'm writing for a, uh, a website called bistroawards.com. Uh, I started writing after I received the awards from them, so it was not nepotism. Um, <laughs> but they had followed my writing from way back, and I had stopped for a while because it seemed almost an appearance of uh, conflict because I was directing so much that it didn't seem fair to be writing about other people's shows while I had so many shows running. But uh, So basically you write yeah. as, a, as a critic. Yes, I, I review cabaret shows. And ba- I consider it basically a phone call to a friend the next morning of a show I saw the night before and what I felt about it. I make it very um, conversational but also constructive. And if I see something I really don't like, I tend not to write about it because why be totally negative about something? So I don't do that. But I try to, in my criticism and in my direction, make the show that I want to see most as an audience member. What did you study at Columbia when you went? And, uh, well, back then, I, I, I came to Columbia in 67. And uh, the uh, prevailing thought at the time from my parents, my advisors, my teachers was show business was not something that you pursued. That was for other people. You had to have something solid to fall back on instead. So I was interested in urban studies. So I studied that at Columbia uh, because that was a, a hotbed of that at the time. Oh, yeah. And I happened to arrive at the time of the takeover of the buildings and the SDS protests and the Vietnam War and all of that. And, Did you come uh, across uh, Allen Ginsberg at all? Uh, he, he, I saw him speak, yes. That must have been cool. I just watched a documentary yeah. recently, and he was a uh, featured uh, person in it. He, what, a, what a cool man he seemed to be. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And another memory from back then is that during the the the, build, the, the campus was literally shut down by tactical police and helmets and carrying billy clubs marching through the streets and all of that. But the Grateful Dead arrived and gave us a free concert in the middle of the campus oh, to man. show solidarity with us for the time. Oh, man. And, <laughs> and, and this is the late 60s. Yes. And, now, of course, my, my family and friends in New Hampshire thought that I had single-handedly masterminded the entire thing as a freshman at Columbia. Well, <laughs> well they know you, so, of course, they thought yes. that. Yeah. <laughs> now, were, were you at that point, were you out uh, yes, I, uh, one of the reasons I, I knew I, uh, it would be difficult to do that where I live, that's one of the reasons I wanted to come to New York was to be myself. So literally, I remember getting off the plane and walking through the airport saying, this is my new life. This is my life. This is who I am. I'm going to be myself from now on. And that's, oh, that's fantastic. And it happened. And then a few years later was Stonewall and the first March. And so I'm happy to be celebrating the 50th anniversary of that with the show. And I'm actually doing a piece within the show myself. I'm doing a spoken word piece from a memoir I'm writing about my time in New York uh, regarding the Gay Pride March and all of that. So, so you were involved in all of that as well. This, uh, I don't know, uh, the Stonewall, um, I guess, the, the aftermath, I suppose? Of well, the- I was there the next day. The night, the night of, I wasn't there, but we all heard about it through the grapevine the next day. Lots of phone calls. It was pre-texting and all of that, of course, but everybody made phone calls and kind of showed up the next day milled around and Bette Midler came and sang actually at that so that was a nice thing to remember oh god yeah yeah and uh, 
I, well, I was talking to Stephen about this because, again, you know, this this month of June uh, is Gay Pride Month, and and uh, there's big celebrations going on in New York City in particular. That's like the international uh, epicenter of of gay yes. pride. Uh, and we were talking about I'm a heterosexual male, you know, so I'm not mm-hmm. nearly as um, immersed in the culture and the experiences you and Stephen are, uh, though I understand clearly that it's easier to, to, to be who you are, as you put it, in New York City as a gay man, um, as someone who's not of the majority sexual orientation. Uh, easier, it, but, but it wasn't easy. But it was easier back then. Yeah. Yes. I'm talking about even oh, like now. Now, yeah. as compared, yeah, I'm trying to get into yeah. the present today. Yeah. It's easier still, I, I guess you could say nationally, but not as easy as in New York City, right? I mean, that's what Stephen and I were kind of reflecting on. Well, for the most part, that's true. Yes. Yes. But with the rise of the internet and global communities, it's it's pretty much it's it's more uh, universal than it was back then. And that's for the good and for the bad. But back then, there was a tendency to be isolated within New York and say, everything is fine here. So what do I care about what people are going through in other places? So it was a it was a, a, an impediment to actually political activism back then, because there were so many people who were relaxed and comfortable being in New York and not concerned about the people in Illinois or Iowa or whoever else were being beaten up outside bars, et cetera, et cetera. So that took a while to grow within the community, that sense of belonging no matter where you were. Yeah, exactly. And, and you guys uh, would have a higher, uh, you'd have support because the number of folks dealing with the same issues in New York City, higher concentration of people than somewhere like in Wyoming or, or yes. uh, Kentucky or something. Uh, yes. Now, what about Harvey Milk at that point back then out in the West Coast? Was did he resonate for you at all? Oh, sure. Yeah, we. I mean, we followed it. We did. I, I wasn't there at the time, but yes, it, all of those uh, early people were influential. And thanks to publications like The Advocate and local papers, we kind of spread the news because it didn't really get as much mainstream media coverage as it might have. But within the community, we all knew what was happening with that. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I was with a group of guys and we actually formed the new, first New York City Gay Men switchboard back in the early 70s, which was way prior to the Internet. But we, you know, we, we set up a phone bank and we manned the phones every night and people called everything from where is the nearest gay bar to uh, I'm feeling really suicidal. What can I do tonight? The, every every type of call you could imagine. And we. Uh, that's one of the things I'm talking about in the show tomorrow night is, is our first gay pride march as the New York City Gays Men Switchboard. Um, That's great. And so, my, my, my compliments to you doing such important work. Well, it seemed it, we weren't thinking of it as important but vital at the time and just something we needed to do. It wasn't so much thinking historically or even politically, but just we thought it would be of value to people and we had the resources to do it, so we did it. And uh, you know, when when you look at the the culture uh, in New York City, generally speaking, and and we talk about Broadway, we talk about cabaret. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I want to try to bring it back to to that. Sure. Uh, you uh, probably I don't know. Maybe this is a stereotype I'm walking into, and call me out on it if it's true. But th- there is a, a high 
concentration, high percentage of, of uh, gay men that are involved in Broadway, involved in the cabaret scene. Is that, is that a misconception? It's not a misconception, but it doesn't imply, it doesn't, uh, in reality, offer the freedom or the safety that that might imply. In a way, the, the closet within that kind of community is tighter shut than the closet in other communities. Wow, I wouldn't because think because back then, not now, not now. Now it's a very different story. There are so many outperformers, and it's a, it's a. But even now, there's a bit of it. But back then, I mean, I worked with gay men who did cabaret shows, and they, they either, there was a great idea of the pronoun. When I teach, it still comes up of whether you use he or she depending on how the song was written. And I had some who always sang she, or gay women who sang he, in all of the songs and never uh, even considered changing it to what would be their life choice as their song choice. And, uh, and then I had others who scrupulously found songs that did not identify pronouns, did not identify gender. And that's all the songs they would sing are songs that they could sing legitimately and honestly without having to deal with changing a pronoun. So I mean, you... it was, it was, it's silly now almost to talk about, but back then it was a very big concern. Because if a performer were identified as gay, it immediately put them in a category as far as press and response and audiences that might that might not come to see them because of that category. Yeah, and it would limit their opportunities as exactly. as, as artists, yeah. as performers. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I, I guess I'm understanding. So if you have a, a male who is gay and he and he is singing a song, he sometimes would choose maybe to change. The female, if if it's a love song about a woman, to th that pronoun to he rather than she, just to be well, true, or they, would they, they they would, but very rarely. Very, it was slow to come. Now it would happen at the drop of a hat. What do you think about that as as a reviewer of cabaret? Do you think that uh, a performer should change it or should be true to the original lyrics? What's does it matter? To well, you? well. It matters ultimately in that I think it would be healthier if someone could sing the song however they wanted without any restriction from anybody else outside of it. That's the only thing that I would be concerned about. But um, it was it was a time when that was done everywhere. I mean, you know, even you know, someone as outrageous as Paul Lind on Hollywood Squares never literally came out. Do you know what I'm saying? He, oh yeah, he would, but he's it, it was it was it's obvious. Yeah. But even he, being so obvious, never sat down with anybody and said, this is my life. Uh, it took Johnny Mathis years and decades to even deal with it. And he's another person who, you know, not, not that he, he wouldn't have had a recording career if he sang The Man That Got Away. Right. Exactly. Back then. Now he, know, would. Now now he, he would. Now yeah. he could. Maybe not still as much as his career became. But but he could do it and legitimately have a career right now. He could not do it back then. Do you think if he did, it would be mainly people that would uh, that were gay that would relate and buy his albums, or you think the general public would be open enough to it? Well, I think I think not entire not as entirely open as they were at that time with his career. But I think there's enough openness now that his talent would supersede any consideration of that at now with a lot of people and not only gay people but straight people and shouldn't that be the way as you make me think about I mean, that's that's the, that's the dream i mean that's what it should be well yep. you said the dream that's that's what pops into my head dr king you know judging people by their their character 
not yes. you know not the, not the color of their eyes or or their sexual orientation or what have you. We're still trying to, and I'm going to President Obama, you know, trying to create a more, more perfect union. That arc, yes, bending towards justice. All of that, all those kinds of cliches or hyperbole, though they give you a little bit of a mooring as to where we are going yeah. as a as a society. Well, they're cliches because everyone dreams them and wants them. Right. I mean, that, so it's it's a common desire. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Jerry Geddes on the program, Troubadours and Rock on Tours, having a fantastic conversation. Um, so let me ask you this. You are an expert and a, uh, honest, uh, an honest and earnest lover of cabaret. Tell me, yeah. how do you define cabaret and, and what makes it special? It's interesting. I, to me, cabaret is basically real estate. It's the room in the building where you go to perform. It can become anything you want it to be once you're on the stage, but it's basically a room with chairs and tables and a stage and a piano. And take with that what you will. It can be uh, an avenue to just sing a concert of songs. It can be an avenue to tell an intimate story for an hour. It can be uh, someone literally telling jokes for an hour. It doesn't even have to have music. But it's the space that allows that freedom. And also that freedom is very scary to people at times because they're completely naked on the stage there's no set there's no play there's no uh choreography there are no costumes it's just them being themselves and the best cabaret performers translate that humanity and that individuality into a conversation with the audience it's it's much more akin i tell my students this all the time that if you were to pair acting styles cabaret is film acting as opposed to theater acting where a literal or metaphorical raise of an eyebrow can make an effect where it wouldn't in a concert hall or on a Broadway stage. But it's such an intimate area that you can literally be yourself and allow it to happen without having to force anything. That's, That's sounds, what the best do. That sounds wonderful. So it has to yeah. be a small space. It has well, to Well, I, I, there, there are some that reach the levels of 100, 150 seats, but generally cabaret is 60 to 80 seats. You are listening to Troubadours and Rock on Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. The bigger the room, the more concert-like it becomes rather than uh, what I call intimate cabaret. Right, and then the, and then the lifting of the eyebrow doesn't have the same effect. Or Correct, the, yes. The, the, the chuckle or the, the gasp yeah. and sigh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or even just the pause or the silence or anything, the, the focus... It's one of the things I, I do when I teach is try to get I, – I joke that uh, if I'm teaching a beginner class, I never mention that I'm actually giving them acting lessons, but that's what I'm doing because what – I mean, I'm a big fan of songs, obviously, and music, but it's the story that's important and the story that needs to be told using both the music and the lyrics to tell that story and to put yourself in the story and bring the audience with you. And that's what can be done in a cabaret room that won't be done anywhere else. Tell tell us about some of your colleagues. You know, I know there's one person pretty significant. There's a lot of people, I'm sure, pretty significant. But one that comes to mind is uh, Tony Winner. This year's Tony Winner, yes. Yeah. Andre De Shields. Yes. We were friends for quite a while. And as a matter of fact, this the, the artist uh, that I mentioned earlier, Robert W. Richards, who's a fantastic artist. And I worked for uh, a national, international, actually, but national gay magazine called Torso for quite a while. We had 10 pages every month that was kind of a lifestyle section where we uh, 
got to cover music and movies and theater and fashion and all of that. And we did a big profile on Andre and, and my friend drew a, a wonderful illustration of him with lightning coming out of his fingertips. And that's Andre. He's electrifying on stage. And we became friends through mutual friends and shared interests. And uh, I started just being around when he was putting his shows together. And we'd worked on a couple of things together, in particular one where he uh, he was booked at a great little club on the Lower East Side. I'm not sure if you know it, the New Eurekan Poets Cafe. No, I don't. But it's, I... A, it's a very, very exciting still, but it's been around for a long time. Avenue for mostly poets, but they expand to music and, and spoken word and other things as well. And so in honor of being at this Poets Cafe, he and I wrote a poem for him to perform the evening that he was performing in the show we put together, in addition to his music and, and his raconteurism, and uh, in, honor of your, in honor of your show. Thank yes. you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the poem was called, it, it was, it was the, the beginning of the, the real uh, tsunami of AIDS uh, at the time. And we wrote a poem called Dating in Armageddon. And it was through personal um, reminiscences of people we had lost, an overview of how AIDS had d developed and destroyed the commu many communities. And uh, we were quite pleased with it. And it, 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 there was a call and response in the poem where we had we listed about 20 names of people, just their first names with a pause after each one in honor of their passing. And then we opened it to the audience throw out their own names in the middle of this poem the, the names of their lost ones and it, I, there was not a dry eye in the house mm -hmm. it was an amazing moment and eventually when backstage magazine which was one of the big uh, entertainment newspapers like variety at the time did their first major aids issue they published it on the back page mm. and then it was also put into an anthology in england but uh since then, he is, Andre has set it to music. He still recites it, but it has a musical background now, and it's part of his, his cabaret show at this time. So he is, he is one of the most exciting performers there is. I mean, he's, and I was so pleased that he won his award and gave such a beautifully humane and smart and wise speech in acceptance of the award. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, you know, it, it's the way you are living your life seems to me uh, so healthy you know you're 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 being so true to who you are and what you want to do and and not many people have that privilege or have that fortune good fortune um yes i thank you for saying that and i i do agree and i'm aware of it all the time and bringing us back to cabaret that is one of the things that one can do that that's a world where one can do that because you are the one in charge of what you're doing you're not beholden to anyone else if you're a performer or the creator of a cabaret show it's it's your baby and there's no one who can say you can't do that except yourself well l let me ask you when you are putting things together you know as you go through mm -hmm. your day-to-day -day and you come up with a new piece uh something you want to share with uh, with the folks out there what what do, what how does present state of affairs in society and, you know, our government and the like, how, to what extent does it inform who you are and what you're doing? Well, I think at every point in history, and it's happening right now as well, 
when things get this bad on the governmental side, it inspires art to get deeper and stronger and sharper in response to it. So there are a lot of uh, political cabarets right now going on. Uh, I have a bit of it in our show, and I think it's going to start filtering into many other people's performances, as in theater, as in other things. But cabaret is more immediate because you can decide today that you want to do uh, uh, an evening of political songs from the 60s till now and showing the progress and the lack of progress between those time periods. And you could put it together in a month if you wanted to and have it on a stage and, and use your voice to move people in an audience. And if you have the voice to do that, these are the times when it's important to do it. So is it almost in some ways uh, your responsibility, do you think, as as a person who, who can... Uh, inspire can uh, can connect with the public to to talk about issues that are important to you. I would say it's it's a responsibility, but it's a privilege. Uh, responsibility implies that if someone doesn't do it, that there's something terribly negative about it, and I wouldn't want to put that judgment on anyone else for deciding not to do it. But I, it is certainly inspirational to try to do that, and even to move one person or to move one person who can move two people who can move more and more and more. Uh, and it can be subtle as well. I mean, there can be, particularly in such a pervasive, dare I use the word evil, that's going on, out of, emanating out of Washington right now. The, the simple fact of singing, well, let me give you an example. I, I directed a, a wonderful singer named uh, Joshua Dixon in his, in his debut, uh, Cabaret Show. And he was raised a Mormon and uh, wanted to deal with that, but he was always ashamed to march in a gay pride parade because he felt that it was identifying him as unworthy because of the way he had been raised in his religion. So when marriage equality passed, he saw the, the celebration and the, the relief of the people in the streets, and he went to the next gay pride march specifically because of what he had seen as the liberation of being t told by law and by the society that what he was was all right so we put in his show uh a little song from cabaret that was cut from the movie but is in the stage show called um one little word married how the world can change it can change in a day due to one little word married and we turned that into before the parade passes by from hello dolly Nice. And one might not think that that was political, it's personal, but it's also politics, because if two people in the audience said, yeah, that's what this is about, isn't it? Then we've we've made that message clear without literally saying this is a political moment. Here's what's happening, because we kept it so personal that it grew into the political. Excellent. So, Excellent. Great example. So that, and, and well, I mentioned it because it's a very concrete example of things that can be done within the small entertainment pool of cabaret that can't be done in other places. Now, Jerry, we, we're just about out of time. It's wonderful okay. talking with you. I, I'm having a great time. I'm sorry we're out of time. Yeah, well, we'll do it again if you like. Okay, sure. Um, what I'd like to give you an opportunity to do is, again, mention the show, although it'll be over by the time people hear this, because we'll be broadcasting this over the weekend and then a few weeks after that. But maybe it'll be uh, you know running again. Maybe people could check out a website or something to see what you're doing. Sure. Yeah, and also I'm on Instagram and, and Facebook, and everything I do is tends to be on those pages as well. So, so that would just be G-E-R-R-Y-G-E-D-D-E-S, uh, -E -E and that's on both. both Instagram and Facebook. Both. Yeah, I haven't been won over to tweeting yet. I, I 
just I'm too old. I'm resisting it. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. And there's not, you know, they don't let you play with enough characters. You got to be too right, pithy. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, as uh, you can tell, I, I I'd like to talk. So yeah, um, I'm, a, I'm verbose also. <laughs> um, now, yeah, I have a friend. You know, Doctor Pavis, the guy that met you and they got you yes, on the show. Yes, yes. He's one of my best friends, and and uh, I I MC a, a local jazz festival. I've been doing it for years, and whenever I'm, he's always in the audience. And whenever I'm, I'm a big I, jazz person, by the way, as well. Just oh, we have to get together yes. sometime. Yeah. Uh, whenever Sarah I'm going Vaughan on, was a good friend of mine. Sarah Vaughn. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's a whole. Anyway, conversation we'll talk right about there. that another time. We'll talk about that another. Yeah, time. we'll talk about yes, that another yes, time. But yes, whenever yes. I'm going on too long, he I hear him in the crowd. He just goes pithy. Pithy. It's <laughs> a check for me. But uh, uh, how about we, we give uh, you an opportunity to just share a little in, insight, some comforting words, what have you, uh, for the, w- with the listeners? Insight and comforting, comforting words. Inspiration. About what? Inspiration. Anything. Okay, let, let me talk to performers who are listening. Good. Uh, don't be swayed by the current tastes in music that are all about being loud and not about being intimate and being conversational. One of the great plagues of our time is American Idol, The Voice, and all those uh, shows that it's all about the gymnastics of singing and people applaud a long-held note. I want to be brought to tears by someone who maybe has three notes to sing, but they mean every word that they say and they touch me. If someone has three octaves and they're just hitting the octaves for the sake of the octaves. It bores me after the first song. So performers should really think of themselves as singing songs that they want to communicate something to the audience with. And also being themselves on stage and talking to the audience, not singing at them or performing at them. That's one of my performance philosophies. Wonderful. Thank you, teacher, professor. (laughs) Thank you for, honestly, thank you so much for the conversation. It was wonderful talking with you. I look forward to talking with you again. And break a leg tomorrow and and, and all the upcoming shows. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Ciao. All right. Bye-bye.
my journal, day one. My empathy therapist, Dr. Schumacher, said I should keep a journal, so I'm starting my journal. Today, what will I write in this journal? Nothing happens to me, and anything that does, I don't want to write about. Why does Dr. Schumacher give me assignments? Why can't she just give me a pill like other doctors? Journal. Journal, 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 journal. There. Are you happy, doctor? That's my entry for today. Day two. My cat Buttons was being standoffish this morning. I can't figure out why. She owes me. Don't you, Buttons? Remember that cold winter day when you were meowing like crazy on my back porch and I gave you a saucer of my Land O'Lakes half and half and a can of albacore tuna? You were bedraggled and one-eyed, no doubt fresh from a fight with some tough neighborhood tomcat. No collar. I pitied you, took you in, nursed you back to health, and then pity turned to love. And now you're spending the whole morning under the couch. I can't even tempt you out with Rascal, your favorite toy mouse. Nothing. Buttons has always been a bit moody, perhaps because of her unsettled early life. Beginning to enjoy this journal. Must tell Dr. Schumacher on my next visit. Day 7. Another rough day at work. Once again, someone took my yogurt from the mini-fridge in the break room, even though it was clearly labeled with my name and the words, in all caps, please do not take this yogurt. I think it was Charlie. He had a self-satisfied look on his face after lunch. When he left for one of his many smoke breaks behind the building with the girls from purchasing, I rushed over to his wastebasket to see if he was foolish enough to leave the evidence of his crime, an empty Chobani container. But just then Marilyn from marketing came by to complain about her husband, Jerry, as she does every afternoon. Foiled. And I had to listen to Marilyn for a good twenty minutes. Why does she stay with that man? The human heart is a mystery. Spent the evening with buttons contentedly purring on my lap. My upstairs neighbor was yelling at someone on the phone. Her boyfriend, apparently. From what I can make out, they have a very troubled relationship. Not like us, eh, Buttons? Day 15. Shopping for cat food for Buttons. Behind a loud, argumentative woman in line at the grocery store. Her beady eye didn't see the discount on the register for the chunky soup she was stockpiling in case of a nationwide chunky soup shortage. She clutched the supermarket flyer in her, in her hand and yelled, How does this happen? How does this happen? The checkout girl had pink highlights in her hair. She just kept blinking and saying, Um, which enraged the woman even more. I want to speak to the manager, she cried. I moved to another line. As Dr. Schumacher could have told this woman, this incident wasn't really about chunky soup. The woman desperately needs therapy. That night, buttons hit again, and the upstairs neighbor was quiet, except for the occasional sounds of sobbing. 
or at least what sounded like sobbing. It's an old building. Could have been the pipes. Day 16. Buttons left me. The cat was always a free spirit. I'm sad, but at peace. She spent her allotted time with me and Rascal, and then moved on. Day 20. Missing buttons terribly. My upstairs neighbor is playing Billy Holiday all night. Is she comforting or torturing herself? Or both? I get up off the couch, my eyes beginning to water, and toss Rascal into the garbage. Can't sleep. I hear footsteps above me. She can't sleep either. Day 28. I've accepted the fact that Buttons is gone. Okay, now I'm at peace. I wish her well on her journey. Perhaps my journey with this journal is coming to an end, and I'm beginning to wonder if my time with Dr. Schumacher is almost up. Dr. S. seems bored during our sessions, and there's nothing worse than a bored empathy therapist. Well, except for death and cancer and poverty and diabetes and all the other horrible things that can happen to us. Bumped into my upstairs neighbor in the stairwell. Had a nice chat. She's an artist and an art therapist. More therapy. What the world needs now, I thought, but didn't say. She commiserated with me about buttons. Pleasant, understanding woman. Empathetic, really. Tonight I think I'll knock on her door and say hello. Perhaps bring a bottle of Pinot Grigio I bought a while ago and had no reason to open. Who knows, Journal? This could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship.
Sunshine Smile. The Grateful Dead at Columbia, Allen Ginsberg playing tambourine, you and me embracing on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. And now soon it will be supper time, and I won't worry for a while. As you sit across from me with your corn on the cob, sunshine, smile. Welcome, bienvenue, welcome. Fremda, étranger, stranger. Glücklich zu sehen, je suis enchanteur. Happy to see you, bleibe fest to stay. Welcome, bienvenue, welcome. Im Cabaret, au Cabaret, au Cabaret. Meine Damen und Herren, Mesdames et Messieurs, Ladies and Gentlemen, Guten Abend, Bonsoir, Good Evening. Wie geht's? Comment ça va? Do you feel good? Yeah, I bet you do. Ich bin euer Conferencia. Je suis votre confer. I am your host. Sage willkommen, bienvenue, welcome. In cabaret, au cabaret, au cabaret. Outside it is winter, but in here it's so hot. Ooh. Every night we have to battle with the girls to keep them from taking off all of their closings. So don't go away. Who knows? Tonight we may lose the battle. We are here to serve you! episode 326 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Jerry Geddes, our associate producer, Dr. Michael Povis, and these musical artists, Stefan Grappelli, Django Reinhardt, 
Lee Fields and the Expressions, Sarah Vaughn, Andre DeShields, Say Sumi, Alan Cumming, and the Cabaret Revival cast, Terence Blanchard and Branford Marsalis, too. It's so nice to have you with us. Until next week, let's give it a go and try to enjoy this one. Thanks so much for listening.